Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 580 with Fiore Tedesco. It's more than anything, organize your mind. Come prepared. It's free of guilt and self-consciousness. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash Unstoppable, And when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Fiore Tedesco. Chef, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I feel uh, mightily unstoppable, mostly because of your excited tone. <laughs> um, I don't wake up feeling unstoppable. I, feel, I wake up feeling... Uh, scared and hungry and um ready to uh to go through the punishment of a day of human existence you're gonna crush it man and i can't wait to hear your story it's gonna be awesome so after an early influence at his uncle's deli a stint as a professional drummer and a decade of experience at restaurants like new york city's gramercy tavern roberta's in brooklyn franklin barbecue bufalina in austin texas chef tedesco and locadoro in 2016 with business partner adam orman the duo is going into their third year of delivering gracious hospitality stronger than ever chef i can't wait to dive into your story to pull back the layers and how you got to where you are today but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra do you have something locked and loaded i think of uh some the the things that i i have uh when you say mantra i I think of the 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 little taglines i i have in my head throughout the day yeah some of which are uh uh more uh prophylactic and some are, are are uh uh when the to stop the venom from uh, sinking into the wound. It's more like uh, be gracious, be kind, and, and listen. Mm. Um, 
Uh, that's simple and that hard, right? In the restaurant industry, I think it's hard to to remember what it's all about, to be gracious, to be kind. And sometimes in the heat of the moment, you can lose your cool. You can forget. There's so much that happens in the course of the day. And, you know, uh, it's there's there's a whole this restaurant um, takes a whole lot of people, a lot of uh, uh, people power to to make it happen, to make it sing, to make it feel and act the way that it does. And, and which I'm so grateful for. And I love the people that work here so very much and have so much respect for them. And what gets lost sometime in that moment in the day in, you know, um, every day is, gosh, I put so much energy into making this happen. This is my sort of heart and soul on the plate. Um, and that's what we lead with is this simple, soulful experience. And we feel, I feel pretty laid bare to our guests and in, in, in providing in that way. I'm not too familiar with that expression. What do you mean by laid bare? Like vulnerable? Vulnerable. Okay. Yeah, because I'm I'm not hiding behind um, we as a restaurant, us as a kitchen, me as a chef, I'm not hiding behind uh, anything. There's not a facade of... Um, uh, it's all out there. Like your best is out there, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just really simple, you know, uh, and... There's a lot that goes into making something really simple, but the the we are in simple in that uh, there's there there's the smoke and mirrors of every restaurant to make an experience feel the way it does. Uh, our particular brand of it is very honest, uh, like explicitly so. We we talk to the guests openly on the menu about uh, why we uh, why your experience will be guided the way it is why you are going to pay the way you are why the hospitality is included what that service charge means how that affects uh how that creates a living wage for our employees so we we there there's not the the same we're not hiding behind that same veil um that a lot of places are and for good reason you don't want to encumber the guest right but Given the brand, the simple, direct, honest brand of what we provide means like if you don't like it, uh, (laughs) you you don't like us, you know, Uh, and like one tenth of one percent feels that way and they're they're fully entitled to it's the whole thing is subjective. right? What's really important, though, is to not let that one tenth of one percent get to you. Uh, because there's going to be that that small percentage that no matter what you do, they're just miserable people, and they're like, what's the word, insatiable, right? Like you cannot satisfy them, uh, and those people, or or they're just looking for a deal or whatever. Don't let those people get you down because there's the the you know the 99 of other people who are just grateful and love the experience. Yeah, and so in the be gracious side side of that of the mantra, um, it's really important for me to enter every one of those interactions with. Uh, by listening to them and, and hearing, you know, is there, is there, if, if you are, if there is a complaint about the way that we do something, um, I, I hear the words that you're saying, what are you, and trying to listen to, what are you actually saying? Are you saying that you uh, do not like that uh, you're going to be, that the tip is going to be attached to the bill and thus uh, you don't like my fucking lasagna? Or are you saying that uh, you, you don't like the kind of language we're using on the menu. You don't like that the fa- the space is so feminine and it's really a- annoying your sensibilities. This is not your what you expected to walk into when you thought you were going to an, an Italian joint. Yeah, there are all those kind of cues that when you're talking to guests and 
feeding guests and looking at them, they're all and 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 I'll say which is predominantly uh, very very happy people and often like surprisedly happy, surprised that it's a different kind of space, it's a different kind of experience, um, it's a different kind of cuisine. Uh, if you walk in without context, um, but really trying to listen to all of it and l- look for those cues when somebody says, "I don't like the." I don't like this. And you're like, oh, what do you don't like about it? I don't know. All right. So I'm trying to like look at that. Well, just I think half the battle too is actually just letting people know that you're generally interested in their feedback. And you're not just going through the motions, but you do want to know that you do care and that you are listening. 90% of the time, people just want to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of the thing. It's, it, it's, it, it's, that's the same conversation of uh, you might not – you could sit down and be frustrated – and be petulant and not know what it is that you're upset about and that you want to express it and not really know how to do it. I expect, you know, that is that is also like a, I feel like I'm describing my nine-year-old daughter <laughs> f- five years ago. But, I, you know, it's not easy for adults to communicate all the time as well when mm-hmm. they're in an environment that they might not totally understand. Yeah. And I have to just go, you know, yeah, you, you might not get it, but just relax and let us let, let's have a conversation about it i love how we're already in deep conversation when we're just getting through the success quote the success quote or mantra that's, that's a good sign that this is going to be a great conversation going <laughs> forward uh so take us to where it all started for you how did you get into the industry when did you know this was going to be like your path i always loved being around food like i was uh, grew up like i was at my grandmother's hip um, growing up and wanted to learn how to make pasta and wanted to learn how to roll the meatballs and just wanted to be in the kitchen with her when I was uh, really young. And she wouldn't really, she was really superstitious and didn't really want me or boys or men in the kitchen. Not boys to mend the band, but uh, <laughs> male figures. She didn't think that was uh, appropriate or didn't really make sense. But she let me hang out with her enough for me to really get interested and my parents would drive me down uh, to my grandparents' house, like five minutes away. I would wake up early, shake them out of bed on Sunday. Somebody would drive me down so I could get to grandma's and eat the first meatball before, this is like seven in the morning, <laughs> before I came out of the frying pan into the into the marinara for sauce for, we had a family dinner for 30 every Sunday, basically. Cool, right? Yeah. Um, and the... I knew very clearly that I wanted the like the meatball out of the olive oil crispy before it went into the marinara. There was like the sweet spot for me at eight in the morning. And that was all I wanted. Right. So I had this like very, very early um inkling that I loved the medium, right? That it was just like it infatuated me and it like filled me with joy. How old are you at this point? I turned forty tomorrow. Okay, but yeah. what, what year was no, how old were you at this point? Oh, oh <laughs> <laughs> in the story. Uh I starting when I was like four. Okay. Yeah. So you eventually got away. I mean, you didn't know it was going to be your career until later in your life because you were a professional drummer, right? Yes. I mean, so the answer is yes and no. I I cooked um, and I worked at a, a cousin's bakery and uh, another another uncle had had the deli that really inspired so much here. Uh, and there was a lot of food in the family. And then I, I cooked at a, a resort in Lake George when I was in middle school and high school. Um, I I sort of applied to I, I looked at going to the uh, culinary to uh, CIA, which I grew up 
45 minutes from okay. in upstate New York. Um, and I was really interested. And it was just like, uh, one, my parents were like, don't do that. That is stupid. That's <laughs> that's what our like deadbeat friends that have uh, cocaine problems do. <laughs> yeah. You go and cook. You know, it was yeah. a slightly different perception. But you also had a family that owned bakeries and delis, right? Did I hear a bakery in there someplace? Where yeah. That, I mean, so yeah, Uncle Buster that had the, my cousin that had the bakery was one of the... <laughs> you know he he, he had a one of he had, people he had, your parents were referencing <laughs> totally yeah and so there was there was a there there was a stereotype alive to them and their friends like of they didn't know a, a bunch of really there was not this archetype of happy successful well-adjusted chef yeah or restaurant owner there was like trouble and strife which is um not wrong you know we we then entered while I was going through this and they were in, trying to convince me not to do this, uh, we're, you know, culturally we're in the middle of transitioning to a uh, celebrity chef and the, all this heightened attention on chefs and restaurants that wasn't really prevalent before that in the mid nineties. So what was, what was it exactly that really influenced you that wanted you to get into it? The industry. Um, well, so at that point, in high school, I just I felt like I had a like a visceral connection to it, and I I couldn't really go much. I couldn't think much further than that. I just really liked yeah. making food. Um, so I I then dis- dismissed it, went to college uh, elsewhere. I wanted to play tennis. I thought I was going to be a tennis star. Uh, there's me sitting in front of you as proof that that did not work. <laughs> um, nor did many of the other things that I tried. Um. What really struck me is, uh, so I'm going to skip some time here, but after a couple of years of, uh, you know, two and a half careers in four years in, in New York City, after sort of dropping out of college and working in interior design, fashion for a couple of years, I started playing drums. Uh, I, I grew up playing drums. I, I played drums my whole life. Um, I was probably a little more naturally gifted at that than any of the other things that I've done. Um, started a band with a cousin that moved to to Brooklyn um, around the same time I did and started touring. And all of a sudden, uh, I was touring uh, and not making money and then eventually making some money touring, getting hired as a mercenary, as a drummer, and travel all over the world. Nice. um, Had had any musical aspiration that I had, which was um, I, I loved playing. I still love playing. But I got to do everything that I ever dreamed of doing. Yeah, check those boxes. All got checked. And uh, along the way, while I was in Europe, I was in toured Central uh, Central Europe for uh, a few months at a time. And my first time in Italy was was uh, really mind-blowing and entered through the north. And I was like, man, I'm so excited. These are my people. Yeah. Like, I grew up in a family that we poke each other's eye out, like, talking with our hands, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm so excited to see this. And we enter from north of Italy and we get there and I start talking to people and my awful, awful Italian people are looking at me like in disgust, like, why the fuck are you talking to me? <laughs> and I was like, man, these are not my people. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little heartbroken. We yeah. move uh, a town south and play the show the next night. We're, you know, 15 kilometers away. Like talk to people again. They're like, you know, you know, why are you talking to me? Okay, I'll talk to you a little bit. Turn it a little polite handshake. I'm like, oh, it's a little warmer. Every town that we moved south, people were a little kinder, a little warmer. 
my family is from Naples or just outside of Naples, where you say hi to somebody the first time, you're, you know, you're practically making out. Like you, five kisses on the cheek, <laughs> a long embrace, a little slap in the face, you know? It's very physical. Where in the North, it is not so physical. It's a little more um, Germanic introductions. And a little more standoffish. Well, I was going to ask if being able to travel, uh, a lot of people will get into culinary school, they'll go to CIA or whatever. They'll they'll get into the restaurant industry and then they'll they'll use the industry to travel because it's a it's, it's a skill. You can go, you can get work anywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, but you got to use uh, drumming as a vehicle to travel and to experience the world. As somebody who was so passionate about food from an early age, was this? Did you kind of see this as an opportunity to like? explore and let your creative culinary side come out and i didn't see it that way up front i bet you wish you were thinking that now well i mean (laughs) it it probably wouldn't have changed much because it did exactly that yeah that's that was the unexpected an unexpected consequence Mm. i was excited about uh just seeing the world um and then once i got and and so, you know, I was writing songs and writing ideas, and I had my journal that I wrote yeah. in every day, and we're in a tour bus or a tour van traveling, you know, three, four hours every day. And that journal just started turning into a food journal because those are the things that I'd, I I was really inspired by and started to think about. And really, over the course of a couple months on, on this one trip, um, with a couple explicit instances like in dreams and dinners that happened um my perspective really shifted and i was like god damn i this is what i want to do i want to i want to know how to do what they did last night that food that i had how do you do that how do you create that experience Mm and by the time i got home i was like well um how do i do this what do i do and i I, so it was this touring this traveling that kind of really ignited the bug within you that really got you thinking like this is my real passion this is my curiosity 100 percent. and when how old were you when you got back um 24 okay and is this when you um this would have been uh before like what was the first like when you knew this was your your path what was what was the how did you start living intentionally uh what who were you trying to get jobs with? Like, I know eventually you got to Gramercy Tavern. You must have had some experience to get on the line there, I'm assuming. Yeah. So I, the cool thing about going into that as an adult and coming from uh, another career, that uh, especially an artistic career where I had to really organize myself and hustle, and I did not do a very good job of the organizing. I did a good job of the hustling. I had a bartending job in New York that really made so much uh, possible for me. At, at, at a certain point um, to where I got back from that tour and I was like, I am going to, I'm going to be a chef. I'm going to learn how to do it. I'm going to find all these experiences that I want to find how to make these things that I'm dreaming about. I, I've never lacked for the creativity and it's still like, like that is not a, a thing. I, ne- I don't get creatively blocked with food. It's never, ever happened in my life. Um, knock on wood. Yeah. But I, I, I also just don't worry about it. That 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 is not a... It's also not that important. What's important is to be honest with yourself and be just true to yourself and the, making it really easy. Learning the technical skills, learning the, you know, developing the palette for it, um, having all those tools in place. So like you have a canvas, you have your paints, you need all that stuff in place and you need to ha- know how to use those paints on the canvas to make the picture, right? Um that took a long time. It's still taking time. You know, I'm still learning how to do new uh, 
uh, refine techniques and, and yeah. make things better every day. Well, to put some years to it, you said you got back, you're 24 years old, you're 40 now, so that's 16 years ago. We're looking at 2003, 2004. Uh, so you had three years of probably uh, bartending before uh, 2007, I see, is when you uh, got the job at Roberta's, and that's when you were at the Brooklyn Laundry Pro. Uh, uh, so three years after coming back, you were owning a restaurant. Uh, I didn't own a restaurant, but I started a, a, that supper club. Okay. The, the Brooklyn Laundry was like a supper club that okay. I started out of my basement in my apartment building. I never asked for permission, but uh, and I stole a bunch of uh, lumber from construction sites to build all this furniture to make this happen. But yes, that was... So I came back from one tour and was like, man, this is what I'm thinking about. I started staging um, 2005, 2006. Uh, my first stage was at Prune. Okay. Um, Ooh, that's a great place to be staging. And what it was my favorite restaurant, and um, I really I thought so highly of Gabrielle Hamilton, and uh, I loved talking to her. I loved the way she talked about food. I loved like the the, the brand of hospitality at that restaurant. I really connected to the place, um, and I wrote her a letter and wrote a resume out as a non professional cook to make clear of my intention to go work there that I thought this was the place for me and this is why I wanted to do this. Um, and she's so great. She, uh, uh, I, I walked in and talked to her and said, you know, uh, chef, I, you know, I really want to stage here. I really want to come work here. And she was like, well, do, are, are you a cook? I was like, well, that's a long answer. She was like, no, it's not. I mean, that, that means you're not either. Yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not, then no, I got no room for you. And if, even if you are like, I, you know, I, I don't have any room. Well, eventually you, you convinced her that you were a cook. She gave you the opportunity to massage, right? Yeah. It no. took me, I had, uh, I came back. So I came back the next day and said the same thing. And she like rolled her eyes a little bit at me and she's like, you know, I don't, I don't really have any, anything like you should go and you should go uh my friend's place over here and go stash there. I was like, no, I don't want to stash there. I want to stash here. She's like, no. Um, came back again, said the same thing. And she sent me away again. She called me a day later and said, all right. Uh, uh, this is Gabrielle. Uh, be here tomorrow at noon. <laughs> and I was like, I was on, on the phone. I was like, oh my God, Gabby, that's so cool. Like, thank you. She said, whoa, 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 what'd you say? I was, and repeating myself. She's like, uh, you call me Gabby again, I'll fucking kill you. Uh, I, I, wow. Um, so what was the, what was she looking for? <laughs> chef? What or, was she looking for? Or Gabriella? <clears throat> uh, she was looking for, um, I don't know what she was looking for. She won. I mean, she gave me the stage cause she was, well, no, what, what did she want you to call her? I guess is what oh, Gabrielle. Okay, Gabrielle, got you. Her, got her you. name. <laughs> got you. Without, without annoying brevity. <laughs> okay, got you. Um, so um, this, this is the kind of stuff I'm after, though. This is the kind of stuff I love because to, to make it in this industry, I really think the best way to do it, to go about doing it is by surrounding yourself with incredible people. And you, with no experience in the industry, yeah, growing up around food, yeah, but no experience in the industry, have the balls to approach Gabrielle Hamilton and say, hey, um, I want to stash. And when she says no, you come back two other times to show how serious you are. And you you got to make things happen in your life. you got to keep showing up. you gotta, you got to get, you got to grab what you want, right? And, Absolutely. And that's just a perfect example. And how did the stash go? Well, once you get, let you in, like how did you grow? What was it? What was the experience? Well, I'm, I'm going to back that up and say that, yeah, like I, it took a little chutzpah 
and uh, belief in myself to do that, to like go back in the next day and next day after. And I wish I could say, hey, man, that's the way I've always been. That's how I've gotten everything is just I've driven after it and I'm not scared. I, I was such a shy, scared little kid. I was born uh, part, mostly deaf and I couldn't hear till I was four years old. I couldn't really speak clearly till I was almost a teenager. Like I got the shit beat out of me <laughs> like all through uh, all through middle school. Like it, I don't know wh- why I smiled when you said that. So yes, yeah, th- thanks, dude. <laughs> um, but like I didn't, I did not have an easy go of it. Uh, confidence wise as a kid and it really I when I got to the city when I was uh, 18 19 dropped out of school like lost my scholarship uh, didn't know what I was doing and it took me a couple years to really like uh, try to find a way to build up some belief in myself getting to play music and and uh, do that for getting paid to do it some and doing a good job and felt like developing the good work habits to do it is what started to build that confidence. Yes. I had to sort of fake it some and say, if you, this is what you want, you're going to have to fucking go after it. You have to like get through all the fear, uh, all the, like the cringy, uh, self-conscious fear that, uh, that exists in all of us to, to get through it. And even, even just in going back that next day and the next day after to go to prune and say, no, no, I, I really want this was not easy for me. Um, I had to like break through some, inner walls to 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 go do that but i did believe that was the right thing i did believe um in myself to do that i had uh i had really talked myself into um really thinking that i was going to this is the path for me and i never strayed from that once i started there and that was uh i i suffered for being maybe poorly focused through the first two-thirds of my life and i got to this point um and i you know I've been, I've done a really good job staying focused on this path. I think at the same point, though, I mean, you don't figure out what your path is uh, not by trying different, like, you have to try different things. You have to be distracted. You have to have a little bit of ADD to get out there, experience different things, and find out what your path is, to find out what you're good at, what, you, what you're passionate about. For, for me, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there are different personalities. Some people, uh, I've known cooks that I met at the Grimshire Tavern that showed up there at 18 better cooks than I will ever be and knew that that's what they were going to do. And that's what they've been doing. I it, the path wasn't laid that way for me. I didn't lay it that, that way for myself, but what I got was a bunch of uh, life experience and world experience and perspective that I think made me uh, a better l- listener and I, ultimately a better cook. Once I've learned yeah. the, the requis- re- requisite skills to get in there. So the stage of prune went really well. I felt like for, uh, an amateur that had no idea what the fuck they were doing, I did a pretty good job. And I charmed a couple of the cooks that said, you know, uh, he might not know what he's doing, but let's give him a shot. Let's get him in here. I got the staff sort of behind me to help Gabriel make the decision to hire me. And so we talked after, and I was like, so, you know, what do you think? And I know I know that a couple of the cooks were in our ear, and we're like, come on, hire this guy. And she was like, no, I don't. I don't need another dude here. There's already too many dudes, so that's the last thing I need, and I don't need a dude that doesn't know what he's doing. No. Interesting. And left of that, and I was like a little... Did that bruise you at all? Um, I was so charmed by her that I was just like, come on! <laughs> um, which, But she was like, no, I'm not I'm not joking. Like, go find a fucking job. Yeah. Um, but honestly, at that point, I was really... 
already galvanized going into that because I know that I did a good job given that I knew nothing. Yeah. But I knew that like, um, it's like the challenge that there's a saute station, which is really, uh, about as wide as, um, my shoulders were when I was 12. Like it's a tiny station there and you're uh, picking up the, uh, sweet breads with the caper brown butter. And it was, I've never had to pick up like a, make an emulsion out of, uh, uh, like a pan sauce emulsion on the line in such a way before. Um, but somebody showed me how to do it once. Uh, and I did it well. I didn't break. I didn't. And that's a really hard emulsion still yeah. to keep together. That brown butter emulsion is such a pain in the ass. Um, but I, I did what uh, the what chef told me to do, and I did it well. And I played that all night. And they're like, well, that is sort of what you need to do to be able to work here. So we have about 40 minutes, 35 minutes left together. And what I would really like to get uh, before kind of diving into the story about here at Locadoro uh or sorry, uh, Locadoro, uh, I really want to kind of do some snapshots of the, the key mentors that you had along the way to get to where you are today. Some of the biggest lessons you've learned and the, the most pivotal points for you along the way in your career. So before we, we depart from Prune, what was the biggest lesson you, you learned while there? To have confidence in myself that basically this person that I admired who I wanted to work for said no to me and said, hey, you might be fine. You might be good out there. I don't really care. Um, but you're not going to do it here, which is pretty, um, so, so, on, on one hand, pretty dismissive. So she said you're good enough, but not good enough for here. No, she never said I was good enough. Oh. <laughs> she didn't She didn't Translate. say. Yeah. And she didn't have to because I, I wasn't good enough, you know? Or she didn't, She. I don't know if she saw anything at all in me. I thought she liked me. I think on a personal level, um, she appreciated my uh, my willingness to fight for myself, and I recognize that in the social way. I recognize, you know what i i have I have that certain something that if I want something, I can get the opportunity. Mm. The opportunity I wanted was not to have that job per se, but was to get in that kitchen for a day. Well, I'm sure you put that on your resume. I'm sure you put staged at Prune. No, no, no. Okay. I well, mean, what was I, the- like? I'll mention that, but I, I feel like. You didn't work there long enough to really have it on your resume. It would be kind of misleading. That, it would be uh, disingenuous to say that I that I worked there because I, I never, ever worked there. I, I stashed there. Yeah. So uh, what was the next big transformative moment for you in your career, in your path? Uh, so I shortly after that, uh, Roberta's was opening, and uh, they were friends of friends, the guys that were opening. Um, and they had gotten open in Bushwick, and I was looking to make this transition, looking for a job. They had gotten open like a month before, and I was like, all right, I am uh, found out that, that they were hiring, and a friend was like, dude, you should come work there, and I I started working there, and I was working there and working at the bar, sort of splitting splitting my week and working pretty heavy hours at both places. Um, Any key mentors here? Any big lessons? Uh, key mentors. Chris Parakini was... Uh, one of the owners of the restaurant and he was the person I talked to most about it. And I, you know, it was a really challenging experience and, uh, environment for me. Carlo Maracci is the, is the chef there and chef owner. Chris is no longer part of the group. Uh, Carlo or is, and, uh, Carlo and I didn't really talk much. He was not like a really verbose fella. Um, and he was also sort of learning on the job. It was all pretty new to him. When I was there, Carlo wasn't really 
there much. He was like looking to not be there and um, work on the Salumi projects he was working on. So I was a pretty inexperienced novice cook that would be in the kitchen totally by myself. Um, and, and the restaurant was struggling really hard up front. Like they were scared. They were scared it wasn't going to work. They were scared pe- enough, not enough people were coming in. And I got to see this transition there. Of it go from oh, is this a failing restaurant to oh this is this is a successful restaurant. You got to see that transition in this little short six month arc of all of a sudden all the best chefs in the city are coming in after their work to come have pizza and and food there, and I would be in the kitchen by myself, uh, where we were staffed to get by at maybe thirty covers because we were slow and they didn't have any money. Um, all of a sudden that shifted uh, to where all of a sudden we'd be full and have a hundred, do 150, 160 covers. I'm by myself in the kitchen. Jeez. There's a pizza in the front, but in the back we're, uh, pay, you know, doing all the cold stuff. So we'd have like, a uh, all the, the salumi and the cheese plates and then working saute. And then, you know, I would put a pasta on the menu and, you know, Carl, give me the bandwidth. Like, oh, you want to put a pasta special on, you know, make your pasta, do your thing. So I would. Uh, I would put a pasta on or have a lasagna and then have, and you know, I had like 14 picks on the menu to put up and doing it totally by myself for tons of covers. And I had no fucking idea how to do it. So you, something was going right because they were able to turn things around. What was it from your perspective? What was it that went from not being very busy to one of the busier restaurants in in the, the area? It was right place, right time, right food. You know, it was totally non pretentious food, but also this attention on, uh, uh, it was a lot of um, friends that were, had been working in hospitality for a while that had been working in bars in Williamsburg and Brooklyn. They had that, there were a bunch of artist studios right around there. It became cool right away. The pizza was really good. And so then, do you think that was luck, or do you think that was the owners identifying an area that was on the, the come up? Maybe they had inside information about construction or anything that was coming up in that oh, area. Oh, I would or? definitely, I would say they had, they had, they, their gut told them it was a good idea. So there was like a little bit of that intuition of, I know this hood and yeah. then 90% luck. Gotcha. I think you have to be really fucking lucky to make it work. I've seen so many very smart, very, uh, collected, very organized chefs and restaurateurs go down on flames. So you were there from 2007. Um, it was in 2007. You also started the, uh, supper club. What was the idea behind the supper club? So uh, the idea behind that was um, an experience that I had in Italy, in uh, in uh, in Umbria, one night while I was on tour. This was the night that made that made clear that I wanted to cook for a living. I had this uh, amazing meal in this sort of hillside uh, restaurant owned by a friend of the promoter whose club we were playing in that night. We had this incredible meal, and this story really takes an hour to go all the way through it. So I'm going to, I'll do the, uh, the, the shortcut. Of you, yeah. uh, really got, I mean, uh, I cried in the middle of the meal and it's probably about 11 PM. We go and play a show that, that night after the meal drunk and full. We play like one in the morning and then we go sleep in this sort of, uh, uh what was like a, a converted monastery, uh, uh, monastery. Yeah. Um, that was like a little like guest house. Um, and that night I had this dream about the meal that I had that night. And, but in the dream, all the food 
had taken on a different form. I could see, I could taste all the food again, which was just like a wildly magical experience for me and really transformative. Like I cried because I thought of my grandmother. I thought of all the, like the, these food experiences growing up. I felt like this really deep connection to it. In this dream, I had that same feeling all over again, except the food that was passing in front of my face were, was, um, were, were clouds. They were like these pastel tinted clouds that tasted like this uh, bison loin and pistachio or this, this crazy risotto or, you know. Um, and so I woke up from that dream just super, super inspired and wanted to know how do I, and that, that was the question, how do I recreate this? How do I make this food that tastes like this but looks like this? And that was the question that set me on that path. And so when I started that uh, Brooklyn Laundry, my goal was first to recreate that dinner. And so I wanted to learn the techniques uh, and tr- figure out what the techniques that I needed to learn um, to implement that dinner to to just to, to recreate that dream um, so in in laying that out that asked more questions and it provided answers which set me up to like think about okay where am I going to stage where am I going to work where I can learn these things to answer these mm. questions that I'm now asking myself so uh, I started out by um, I, See, I, I love this I love this idea because I mean essentially what's happening is you have a vision right you yeah. have this vision and this is what I want to be this is where i want to get i want to be able to recreate this dinner that was your goal and then you started with the end in mind this is where i want to end up and you started asking myself what can i do to get there and you started using staging to go get the influences you need to make that happen just the power of a vision the power of having a purpose and the power of living intentionally right you did this for three years did you ever recreate that meal did you ever achieve it oh yeah yeah and and um as little technical uh expertise as i had i thought i pulled it off really well um, I created in the basement of <laughs> of my apartment building. We had a really uh, we lived in a really awesome building in South Williamsburg, and had a a, a sh- like a crazy shitty old elevator that connected to the basement. So we would uh, lived on the fourth floor, make all the food in my apartment, and then take it down on carts in the elevator to the basement um, that I had spent a while like cleaning out and dusting and building a bunch of uh, farm tables and opening up the the basement hatches so that we got some light and I mean it was pretty dank and weird down there but it was also really awesome. Yeah, it was a really cool experience, I'm sure, to, because that's not a normal dining out experience. No. Uh, and, and that led to that led to a bunch of them. I uh made a living doing that for a while. We ended so, up getting some press uh upon that dinner and I got the bug for for the curating and for the creating. Did you share the, the story too? Was that part of the experience? Were you explaining people to people why you were doing this? That or? first dinner, it was all friends. Okay. And um, I've been like gifted and blessed with uh, having really, really wonderful friends and a pretty wide network of friends yeah. in the city. Um, and they really uh, helped support and... Um, I want to dive into the dinner clubs. I think yeah. that that is going to be uh, the future pop-ups, right? Uh, of not necessarily even having to go to a restaurant, but inviting people over your home and starting that way because the overhead so little. But you can at the same time develop a following, uh, grow an email list, grow a social media following. So when you do go start doing more official pop-ups, right, you have that list to build off. You have that that following to pull to bring people into your pop-ups and yeah. eventually to bring into your restaurant. But I, I digress. I want to kind of sit on that. Uh, First, I want to kind of dive into 
uh, eventually you left Roberta's and you went over to work at Gramercy Tavern. Was for you was mm-hmm. that just like the next step to go surround yourself? Yeah, with more it, incredible was, people? it was not totally linear. I basically left Roberta's because I we were uh, we found out my wife uh, my my now wife uh, was pregnant with our daughter, uh, and I was. Uh, I was honestly not having the best time at Roberta's. I didn't feel like I had a a mentor there. I felt like I was a, a little alone in the woods at the time, and I and I was. They, there was a, a lot for them to figure out at the time. They were in the middle of transitioning from a very nascent uh, restaurant and to becoming a, like a landmark restaurant. Uh, and I was just one of the people that was there along the way. Um, so I told them I was going to leave. <clears throat> and I wanted to uh, focus on trying to make some money, knowing that I was bringing a child in this world, and uh, really focused on doing the the Brooklyn Laundry dinners, which was a really awesome move and worked really well. And in transitioning out uh, um, of that, I I sort of transitioned out of the restaurant. Carlo asked me if I would continue to make pastries and make dessert for the restaurant and try that for a few months. And I was basically making doing all the pastry work for Roberta's from my apartment, um, which I love to do, but I didn't totally know what I was doing still. And I'd do it and I'd drop stuff off every day. Did that for a few months. Um, and then I came to Texas where my wife was from and where we had, uh, we got married here and then went and traveled around Thailand a little bit, went to, back to Brooklyn, had our child and, um, and I was, doing yeah and i was figuring out what happens next and i was doing these the dinner clubs and my my work schedule is just a fucking nightmare i didn't know how to really organize this thing well i was just it was just like job to job and i was like pop up to pop up and i was getting hired i was doing like uh corporate lunches for google in an old bank vault for 100 people that's cool and then go figure it out which is really cool um but i was not super organized to pull it off in a way that uh, meshed well with um, uh, a home life as well. So I would do it and it would work. Um, But what I felt was that uh, I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know what I was doing. And I felt like I needed that. I was, it was sort of a sham that I am not a imposter syndrome. huh? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I'm not a chef yet. I'm my guy that I can cook a couple things. I can hustle, but I, I want this to be earnest. I want to, I want to. So you felt like you still had more to learn. I, yeah, I had a lot to learn. So and Gramsci Tavern was going to be the place to go to learn that extra stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, so real quick, um, and trying to keep it as concise as possible, because I want to spend some time talking about your current day uh, business and how you built this. Yeah, sure. Uh, but what were the biggest lessons you, you drew from Gramsci Tavern? Who were the, the key mentors, the people that you looked up to the most? Uh, I really looked up to uh, Mike Anthony. I still do. Like he Past guest on the show. Oh yeah. Awesome. oh yeah! Oh, awesome! Yeah, I mean, I I really love him and look up to him, and he has such a, um, he has such a big heart and uh, is uh, very accepting, uh, is a very creative thinker, um, and uh, I felt really connected to him that he could hear me where I was coming from, and made a spot for me in what that kitchen. The biggest lessons that you you learned the the ways he transformed mm. you. <clears throat> Uh, toughen up. Mm. He's like, well, um, cause I thought what my, my ideas of what it was going to be like working under his leadership and what it actually was were two different things. What because, was your idea? 
um, that I was going to get uh, some thoughtful mentorship. What was um, the reality of it? <laughs> uh, I was going to get, I was going to get uh, technique hammered into my spine, <laughs> um, and, and it was not going to be kind, and it was not going to be nice, and that was not delivered. The he was not his own henchman. He had plenty to exercise that part, um, and I still do not agree with how a lot of that was implemented by some of the personalities there. Um, specifically one, but I had people that I could talk to like Mike, uh, and like Howard Kalishnikov, who is the, um, who's been the, uh, uh, CDC there for years and is a wonderful human being. And I had a bunch of cooks that I worked next to that I really admired and could communicate with. Um, and, but it was really the, the most informative part of that. And what I learned was, okay, after a month there, I felt like I was failing. I, w- I mean, I was just not succeeding. I didn't know how to balance it. I had a newborn. Um, I was exhausted. I didn't know how to do the whole thing. I wrote down on paper all the cooks in the kitchen from best to worst and put myself, tried to put myself there, honestly. And I was like second from the end, right? And I was like, well, I have to get to feel like I succeeded in this experience. I have to get in that top, top, you know, 20 percentile. At Did you least. get there? You were uh, there for a year, so this is still early on in your time. The, the first... No, but no, but I, you know, if we hadn't moved here, I was, I was on, I was on my way. I knew how. So over the months, I would still, I would look at that same list, and that some of the names would change, but I would see myself, you know, pegging up that list and moving up as I was learning and developed the confidence uh, and learned how to work as a cook. I learned how to be professional, how to be organized. What's that look like? So you're talking like mise en place, uh, attire clean orderly so it's more than anything organize your mind come prepared how does that look talk, talk me through what an organized mind looks like uh it's free of guilt and self-consciousness because if you're if i'm coming there worried about if i'm gonna survive the day that is a very very selfish way to approach someone else's business i'm there getting paid to ex- execute someone else's food right my job is to be in that moment be a soldier and 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 do the job that you're being told and that is the best advice um that you could get in that moment because all you need to do is focus on those things if you're in your head too much you're missing the whole point this is not about me it is about my ability if i if i'm here to learn how do i strip away the things that get in the way of my learning and i was able to start doing that and focusing on the craft in front of me uh, and I became a good cook. Mm. So the big lessons you took from the Gramercy Tavern was technique, organized mind. What what about business? What did you learn about culture and how to run a business? One nugget mm. about how they did that, that was new to you that you weren't expecting. I was so inspired by the hospitality model, um, by the experience that everyone got when they sat down in that restaurant, that the experience that everybody gets still when they sit down in the restaurant. It's my first spot. The first stop that I make when I get back to the city, almost every time. I love it so much. I love the way it feels when you walk into that restaurant. And it, it is that um, very heightened hospitality and the programming of it and that everyone is on the same page about what that brand of hospitality is and how to deliver it. And so everybody walks in there and you feel like a queen or a king when you walk in because that's how you're treated. Um, and it doesn't matter who you are. And it, there's an egalitarianism to it and the way they treat everyone um, that, gosh, I, I admire them so much. And and I got to see that and use that as inspiration for here for how to how to implement 
something that feels as warm and, and, and comforting and honest. Oh, man. I'm loving this conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurants hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. We're back. So I want to spend the rest of our time free flow conversation kind of talking about how you scale Locadora. Uh, hmm. So take us what, from the time you, you left Grams, you came to, to Texas. Was there anything that were, that, that's worth mentioning before in that that transition, that's worth spending. Some I time? mean, that was a it was a family agreement. That was the what's uh, worth mentioning is that 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 uh, me taking that job at Gramercy was not an easy choice to make, and I made that because I had the support of my wife to make a sort of brave and bold decision that was going to cost us money, and that she was able to support that decision. Um, Let's help make that possible. That was like investing in your education, though. That was going to be your. That was going to be the 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 restaurant you could put on your resume. When you came back to Texas, that was going to open up doors for you, right? Yeah. So I, I um, we moved down here because my wife got a, a fellowship at UT. She's a playwright. Had a really awesome opportunity. Uh, we moved here, and I staged at a bunch of places. Um, uh, I took a job that I thought was going to be a, a sous chef job at a place that I ended up really disliking. The place I made some really awesome friends that are still really awesome friends. But shortly after, I realized that was not the place for me. I did not feel at home. And um, this is the place you spent six months at. Yeah. Okay. We wanted to name names. <laughs> yeah. No need. And then I got a job at, um, at Franklin Barbecue. at Franklin, yep. and I was there for three and a half years. Um, I think maybe it's worth spending a minute here because Franklin Barbecue is a staple in Austin, a staple in Texas, a staple in the nation, really. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're coming to Texas to get barbecue, Franklin Barbecue is, if not the number one on the list, it's up there in the top five. Yeah, it's probably, I mean, it's the best. Yeah. I mean, so, if not right there. Yeah. So, what one lesson you learned from, uh, it's not Tyson, who? Uh, Aaron. Aaron. Aaron and Stacy yeah. run it together. They, uh, they are still wonderful friends, they are great bosses. Um, uh, and they had a very singular thing that they do and they stayed very focused on, on delivering that in, in the way that they was really true to them. Barbecue. Yeah. A singular thing. Barbecue, very singular, but how they do this barbecue, what the interface is, what the sort of like the story is, uh, they stayed on, they have stayed on message in that way that made it really easy for people to understand who they are. Uh, and really helped breed like the 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 cult following that they have that wasn't you know there is a, some luck that goes along with that but they curated that curated that um, the brand 
that brand yeah. so well. So um, it was not accidental. Um, they they were really smart and confident about how they did that. They also taught me what it's like to be a, a, a I mean, it's a mom and pop restaurant, right? And so I worked and reported directly to, to mom and pop. I got to learn how to do everything there is to do there. Um, they treated me with respect. They gave me opportunities to use that restaurant to do my pop-up there. I figured out how to uh, be good bosses and become friends. And um, they're really uh, very inspiring in that way. So they, they taught you about doing one thing really well and knowing your brand, stick, staying true to your brand. What, any other lessons on how to run a small business that you picked up from them? I mean, that 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 was the main one. Yeah. The rest of it was just like the other thing handle too, all the shit that comes at you. And be good to your people. They were good to you, right? And they let you, they let you use your that space to to start your own business. And that's where you started doing the the Locadora Dinner Club. Yeah. Okay. So take us through what your thought process was to, to get this thing off the ground. To start a dinner club. Was it always the, the goal to scale the dinner dinner club into a brick and mortar? No, I, I mean the the idea for the dinner club was sort of happened. Uh I just had a daydream when I was really fucking exhausted. Uh taking a shower and you I do your this, best thinking when you're really tired, huh? When you dream often in my <laughs> dreams. Yeah. Um really I mean like I, I I'm pretty now focused on um I'm working on like the beginning ideas of of a cookbook that um based around sort of my dream life. Oh really? And how that has moved and inspired me and sort of galvanized. Nice. Uh but so I had I came to this idea that was like, oh my gosh, we are I'm gonna make these dinners uh based around uh different musicians, all these rock and roll artists that I admire and gonna make a course per album that I enjoy. So a four course Metallica dinner, the the rest of the album suck. <laughs> or a twelve course Radiohead dinner, eleven course Fleetwood Mac dinner etc uh and i had been working with these other business uh, on business ideas for the franklins to do with them there and they were not ready to pull the trigger on anything with them they're like you know uh they're like uh well why don't you focus your energy you can have the space on sundays they offered it to me mm-hmm. um and make this idea that you want to have happen do it on sunday evenings and it's yours um which was obviously very uh gracious and sort of gave me the platform uh, to to the launch yeah to launch Launchpad. everything that i have now um so what was it like scaling the dinner club Did, was your business <laughs> partner was was sam a part of that from, was it sam adam adam sorry was adam a part of that from the beginning yeah i mean uh i conceived uh that first version of it in my mind and, and really what it was going to be but i was by myself and, and uh realized that i did not want to run that by myself i wanted to do it with some find a partner for that and i happened to meet Adam at a kid's birthday party um, and we became fast friends and I told him that I want him to do this thing with me and uh, he thought it was a bad idea and then came around <laughs> to it uh, and then we've, we've ever since it's been a you know it's been a true partnership we've made all the decisions together um, and um, having so, yeah I mean I, this does not exist without him so at all. Adam just a give some perspective came up in San Francisco works for some great restaurants out and, there from house guy and New York in New York. So yeah. he had plenty of experience. He he's not just some random guy that you met at a birthday party. Like he's a seasoned hospitality veteran. He brings every bit to the table that I do, mm-hmm. if not more, mm-hmm. um, but he's and, more focused on the front of house. I'm assuming, or maybe, he's, yeah, I mean, we split duties here and, um, Adam handles the front of the house and is the GM and I handle the back of the house. I'm 
um, the chef, uh, and we meet in the middle with where the worlds collide there and try to make them mesh really well and we handle all the operations together so you start this dinner club the locadora was it called the locadora dinner club it was called dinners to rock two okay so did it take on a new brand over time or yes. so take us through that evolution like what what was going on how did you scale this thing i when when we had... moved here i had this idea that i was going to open a sandwich shop and it was going to be called the golden goose after named after my daughter um and actually, before we moved here, the spot that I had seen that I was I was like, there's a spot that I want to open the sandwich sandwich shop, and it's this little shack. And it was actually the spot that Franklin Barbecue ended up moving into, um, which was like, uh, I don't know, there's that that fate part of it to me. I was like, oh, that's that's funny. Yeah, I should go. I should go work there. Um, so I had this idea that the Golden Goose, I this this whole path named after my daughter, and then. Um, we were doing the dinners and the dinners start to turn into, man, maybe we should open a restaurant. I've always, I always wanted to open the thing. I just didn't know exactly what the thing was. And over time, over a couple years of, uh, all these dinners and these catering things and all these, uh, pop-ups that Adam and I did, it started to turn into this and initially a much smaller version of this. And, uh, then it became true that you, what was real to me, what was home was, uh, this, sort of southern italian inspired food inspired uh, experience and cuisine and uh then i was like well what is uh, what is the name what you know i still want the golden goose was still the name of it to me which became locadoro which means the golden goose in italian okay um what's your daughter's name i'm curious named after, do you name your daughter Lo- golden goose Lucinda. Okay. Lucinda, Lucy, Lucy Goose. Okay, I got you. Okay, it's starting to make sense now. Yeah, yeah. I had to ask. I'm she, sorry. she was born with this big shock of like blonde curly hair. Oh, okay. Both my wife and I have like very dark hair. <laughs> so it, there was like part of that that was like surprising and really beautiful and, you know, yeah. That's cool. Interesting. Thank you for explaining that. So uh, when did you, like, how did you bring it to the point where you knew that you could move into a brick and mortar? How did you scale? Like, what, at what point did it, was it make... It so painful, man. What was the goal? <laughs> did, like, when did that even become a goal? Because that wasn't your original goal. No, it, it was about uh, eight months into doing the pop-ups. I said, hey, Adam, this is what I want to do. And he was like, what, you don't open a restaurant? I was like, yeah. And I, think, and I knew that he did too, but he also knew that it was a bad idea. It really is a bad idea. It's opening a bad a restaurant. I, yeah. Opening a restaurant is a terrible idea. I say idea. all the time, I hope I talk more people out of opening restaurants than I do into helping open restaurants. By this yeah, point. I mean, we don't need more restaurants. No. No, it not. is. And it, like the whole environment towards opening a restaurant is just a pr- predatory real estate environment made by developers to convince rubes, uh, cooks, and nascent restaurateurs to pay too much money in a space that doesn't make sense and put too much money into the building to make a business happen that has very little chance of succeeding Mm -hmm. and then turning that over into the next Rube. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the game Mm -hmm. that, that is like real life. So why did you do it? Uh, cause that's, I really believed in it. Yeah. So what you believed in the concept? I believed, I believed in myself. Mm. Um, the concept I thought, um, that will, make itself more and more clear the more we work on it yeah so let me just come up with a direct question how did you what were the key things that you did that brought this uh into a dinner club to a brick and mortar restaurant like what was it the the reputation how did you find the the real estate because you're in a beautiful spot uh any key variables any key lessons we can draw from your story yeah i mean i'll say that that experience that transition was so brutal it was those like three years 
uh, looking at spaces, talking to all the different parts, all the parts of people you need to talk to, and Adam and I meeting at least once a week just to sit for a couple hours and talk about what is this, um, what are the components of it, how do we do it? And it was a series of conversations about really just uh, being very, very clear and then looking at it, refining it, making sure, um, and then going back over it, uh, you know, with going back over it with the same brush yeah. 200 times. I think it's so important to have the partner in the early days and to go through these, like you said, getting that clarity of what it's going to look like and doing it with the person you're going into business with because you need to be going to the same place. You need to have that same aiming point. You need to have the same destination. Yeah. I mean, I look at it now and I, I look back at myself three years ago or four years ago, five before we opened. And I was like, oh, you fucking idiot. There's so much you didn't know. There's so much you missed. What didn't you know? What did you miss? Uh, I didn't realize this neighborhood was not uh, was not going to be ready for us when we opened. In what way? Uh, there weren't enough people here. It was sort of the Bermuda Triangle. It was like a, a new neighborhood. Uh, well, I, mean, even, I just drove up through this neighborhood, and you can tell it's a burgeoning neighborhood. Now. Now, but, I mean, it, you wouldn't have had this opportunity if you had waited for it to get to this point, right? Well, I, I could have. I mean, just to be real... Um, were I to do it again, am I here? I don't know. Yeah. Do we, uh, I didn't want to be downtown. I knew that because I knew that I wanted, we wanted this family friendly experience. We wanted a place where we felt like our families could be and feel comfortable. And we wanted a neighborhood restaurant, right? Um, and we wanted an, an underserved neighborhood restaurant that we felt good about. We felt like, uh, this neighborhood was really awesome. Um, we sort of, maybe overplayed that emotionally to ourselves about why this was such a good idea versus some other parts of town where uh, maybe we get way more business up front, way more attention up front. Um, um, so I don't know what that looks like if we're downtown or down South Congress or South first, or I don't know exactly how things are different. So one of those lessons would have been to go to a location that was maybe more in the heart of things. Do we do you think you're too far on the outskirts here? I don't think I am now, and we knew that we were playing the long game a little bit, but we are not a we're not rich guys. We're not like yeah. venture capitalist backed, so we're it was a little uh, naive to think that this was a good idea then. But you, I mean, you survive those first couple of years. You you you're ahead of the curve, right? Because you can see it's being built up all around. You drive yeah. up, and there's there's broken ground everywhere and construction all around you right now exactly i felt like in the uh we are in a really great spot where we are right now i'm really happy and thankful that we're here but i didn't you know i didn't know what that looked like at the time and you're sort of crossing your fingers and hoping for the best this is after doing a lot of research a lot of market research uh, talking to hundreds of people uh, and trying to figure out where that spot is there are a lot of people that thought this was a great spot a lot of people that thought it was the wrong spot and really dumb. Yeah. So we identified location. What were some of the other things looking back at what you, you know, reflecting some of the things you would have done differently, done differently. Um, culture is the most important thing here. You know, yeah. we, we lean so heavily into supporting the, the people that work here and supporting their rights as employees, supporting their ability to make a living wage and, uh, their health and sort of their, their livelihood. Did you do that wrong in the beginning? No, what we didn't do was fully identify what the culture of that looked like. We didn't know. It was hard to know that. Um, I don't feel like I was wrong. We just didn't not yet you know this. You hadn't identified your brand yet or your so, culture yet. Right. Uh, I, we had an idea of what that looked like, but it's really identifying the people that are to have it, inhabit those space 
it's sort of culture first. You need true believers in this model. We had a bunch of friends. So what is this model? What do you mean about this model? Um, a model uh, that is uh, very, very team first, um, where everyone is uh, involved in revenue sharing at the restaurant, right? So I'm happy that we're getting into this because this is like the one thing I did want to talk about because yeah. it is unique. Uh, you're, you do just explain like what revenue sharing, like the, the model that the, the system. So, so basically we, there is a, at the bottom of the check, there's a service charge, a 20% service charge attached to the check. Yep. So th- this makes it a hospitality included model, right? You don't add anything on the tip line. You just sign your name. It's highlighted everywhere. Uh, all hospitality is included. It's line item, so you see what that is, and you, you see why that is. We write on the menu. This is to support a living wage for everyone that works here. Um, why did we do that? Because we wanted to make sure that the people that work here, one, that they are making a living wage, that we are not housing people uh, and taking advantage of anyone making substandard wages, that we were not going to support the system of tipping that uh, feel supports racism, supports... Uh, um, unequal that strips away gender rights and uh, we wanted to make sure that the people that were working here were working for us they're not working for the guest yeah. we have to work together on making uh, at, at sort of being a galvanized team you're not hustling for tips that is such a stupid backwards model yeah it is uh, and, and, and it's archaic and it's roots are dark and um, dark and a little evil and, and, and pretty cynical and that is not a model we want to be attached to. And we knew that up front. So we built this hospitality model, the, the same one that we have now. We just, and, and getting back to your question, like building a culture, meaning hiring people that believed in that first. We had a bunch of uh, really talented people and we didn't know how, to, how this would play out initially. Um, but not everybody believed in that that thing so you underplay the significance of that model the the significance that model would would how that would affect the people that were working for you and you weren't taking that into consideration when you were plugging people into your model yeah we thought we were but not heavily enough okay. you know and and making sure that we had people that were uh that that was their interest in working in that model yeah rather than working in the the cool place or their friend's place and you know um, so you were hiring for skill first, culture second, when you should have been hiring for culture first. This is how we do it. Is that cool with you? Okay. Do you have the skills to? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, that is very clear now. Like you need to have, uh, you need to be a great cultural fit for what this is so that you're a strong member of the team and that the people, everybody here wants to wrap their arms around you um, as a fellow employee and teammate. Uh, and you also have to have all of the requisite skills. Yeah. So, you- that makes it so much easier now to hire. So you've had three years of exercising this business model of the gratuity included. How is it working? Do you think that this is the solution for people out there that might be thinking about going to that this model? Is it? Is it? It's absolutely a solution. Yeah. It is. I I feel a hundred percent galvanized, and this is the way. This is the way to do it. Mm. The, the 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 we live in a country where labor is suppressed. Mm. That the bottom end of labor, where hospitality's workers' rights certainly live, is wildly suppressed. That will not sustain, right? The two thirteen an hour for a tipped wage is um, immoral, and and will not live that long. Um, so soon, I don't know exactly when. Maybe in two years, um, 
there will be a, a, a minimum wage that actually makes sense, that actually supports people. And when that happens, what do restaurants do? When, when all of a sudden you can't pay someone $2 an hour, you have to make them pay them $15 an hour on the books. Um, if you're not ready for that, you are, I mean, that will fold so many thousands of restaurants and that is only their fault. And we, there's this conversation all the time. There are people that think I'm so wrong for saying that. Uh, and then there's a fleet of restaurateurs that uh, I align with that think that is so right. Um, being prepared for that environment from, from a success standpoint is, is vital. I think that is what's going to happen everywhere. Uh, and we are going to be ahead of the curve. Yeah. Two, culturally and, and, and sort of like our value system, that is what we believe in. We don't believe in tipping. I think, I think it is the, the wrong way to think about it. If you are dining, um, you are dining at a restaurant, you're, I don't think that you get to control the livelihood of the person that, uh, the, that the livelihood of your, your server. Yeah. I don't think that is a control well, mechanism. Then on the on the flip side, I feel like a lot of people who work in the restaurant industry as servers think that they're entitled to a twenty percent tip, and that's the other variable. It's like no, you got to earn a twenty percent tip just because you showed up and you put the shoes on, the apron on, and you took someone's order and you went back to the kitchen doesn't mean that you should get the twenty percent tip. Well, it, it lives in such an arbitrary place. Mm-hmm. Do you deserve this? Do you deserve to get a living wage? Yes. Is it does that twenty percent tip help feed that? Yes. So, but are you're asking that of of a guest to make this decision that they may or may not do? Who else? What other industry works that way? Mm. Like, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do my best job, and you decide whether or not you pay me mm. and how much. That's not the way the rest of the world works. So, why does that work way that way for yeah, us? It doesn't make sense. It's kind of a, it's a, it's it's a it's a weird model that no. we kind of just that stuck well, early on and has never gone away. Well, there was there was a way to control freed slaves. Okay. That was the that was the setup. It was a way freed freed men and women were then uh went from working as slaves to being uh, pay, paid servants. Um and so a tip was a way to uh establish loyalty or and engender favor, right? With that person. Interesting. So it is it is a control mechanism. A, a tip Where did a, you learn that? I would be interested to, There are to... there's New York Times articles um um and there are books written about it in New York Times articles that uh, I can I can share with you. Yeah, please. Um, there's a lot of uh, plenty of information about the roots of it, and once you look into the roots of what tipping is, the f- nefarious roots of it, it's it dark and it's yeah. something that. Do you think you can get me those those books and those links by uh, this Thursday when this episode goes live? Yeah. Sweet, I'd love to host those in the show notes. So we we got to start thinking about wrapping up the conversation and moving to the speed round. Uh, but I was curious. Um, I think it's important to know. Uh, we've talked about the significance of the the no tip policy, just the twenty percent gratuity standard. How do you is is there anything we need to know about how to set that up as far as like how to structure that? Like that's important that my listeners should be so aware. Of. What's really important is to be very 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 clear with your guests. Um, that is the thing that we do a good job of. We are clear from the menus printed in the window, the website, our the website, our anything that we put out word is really we talk about that a lot. That is the that might not be hip or cool. It doesn't like uh, it doesn't sell T-shirts, or and doesn't uh, really get put you on like the, you know, Bon Appetit is not like ah, oh, we're we want to make them one of the ten yeah. best because they, they're the most ethical restaurant in America. Yeah, which we we hopefully we'll get there. I think we, I want I want more public 
publications to be t- paying attention to not just the food, but the culture and how these p- places are treating their, their yeah. employees. Yeah, I mean, there's a way in which I know that we are one of the best restaurants in, in the country, one of the best restaurants in the country because of that. Mm. If, if like, food aside, because uh, you, will know, you will find out in the next couple of years the influence that we have had uh, countrywide with a band of other restaurants uh, will be... Uh, will be I, I think we stand to be a big influence on this model because this is proving to be very successful here. So the first part of that, the question or the, the, the question was how, anything we need to know as far how, as far as how to structure this, how to set it up. The first thing you said was to make sure you, you communicate it clear, clearly. It becomes a part of your brand that people know this is what you do. What about as far as you take that 20%, uh, you do 150 covers and that, that 20% is being pulled and then how do you split well, 50 to the front of house 50 to the back of house How's yeah and and there's a it there's a shared between the front of the house uh, front and the back right okay. i mean this is a, a longer explanation and that is the part that um if anybody that from another restaurant is listening to this and wants to reach out and learn some of the lessons that uh, we have learned and wants to know that yeah. like We'll share your contact information. Yeah, I mean, but that is that is like a longer story, and that's really up to every place that wants to do it. The way we do it is very particular, and it's shifted a little bit. Um, it also, you need to make sure you're on the right side of the law from yeah. whatever state that you're that in. That was going to be, I mean, we're, we're, I don't want to, I'm abusing your time at this point. We're going even no, further. no, I mean, but we are on the right side of it, and we, yeah. are, we are constantly making sure we're on the right side of it. To be on the right side of the law with the to try to pay your employees, um, you... If you're on the wrong side, you're you're not doing it right, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you th- know that uh, you should be able to, don't open yourself up to that. Yeah, you know, we stay on the right right side of it and have found the way within that to make it work. Yeah, and to make sure everybody involved uh, profits more when we profit more. So before we go to the speed round, is there anything that you didn't get out that you're hoping that we would touch on that is near and dear to your heart that you want to make sure my listeners get? Before? I mean. Uh, this has all been made possible because I, I believed in myself and 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 um, and followed my heart, you yeah. know, and uh, and I've done that in a way where appreciating and recognizing the people that are that it takes to to go along the road and to be successful. And if you stand in appreciation of the people that support you and help make you successful, you stand to be a much better boss. I love it. Beautiful stuff. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors again. We'll be right back with the speed round. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash unstoppable. 
So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel, and I can tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave, to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. We're back. The first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, I trust that... uh the creativity that my my responses and the the my my creative solutions to problems are are almost always a good starting point i i trust in it what is sorry what is your biggest weakness um i i'm wildly erratic (laughs) i get that uh what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team uh can I trust you to be a good, compassionate person to the people around you? Awesome. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Trusting that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. <laughs> Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Gender, race, orientation is not something um, that we, it should be some should be lines that we 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 work through as a team. That um, these are. That does not get in the way of, of how we communicate with each other. We are all of the same brethren. Awesome. And I, I got to go back to the last question. You said worrying the sun's going to come up tomorrow. What did you mean by that? I'm, I'm curious. I, I'm- Mostly politically. Like we're in, I, I feel that we're in, in dark times. Yeah. Um, politically, environmentally. Um, is, is the big uh, volcano going to explode? Is a meteor going to hit us? It, you know, the way that... Um, I think about creative challenges like do I open another restaurant what do, what do I do what is the next in the career path and balancing with that is uh is the world still going to be here and what are the important things to do for humanity um so gotcha. trying to put that into context <laughs> thank you for elaborating uh what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team this is something that's common within your four walls but not common within the industry I, there's something about the language of of you know be be that good teammate first uh again that it is it is not necessarily point the arrow outward and make sure you're beaming smiling for the guest but making sure that uh we have like a fully supported team to um build that wall uh put the community first Put the community first. That, that, I, I, that is a great way to say it. What is one book to make us a better person or a restaurant operator? Mm. I mean, setting the table was uh, really inspiring. You know, required reading when I took my job yeah, at the Gramercy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a really cheesy book, sort of poorly written, but so many amazing lessons in there. What was the biggest lesson for you? Biggest lesson? Yeah. Altogether? Um, to learn how to trust myself, mm. to learn how to believe in myself. 
And what is one thing you think restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Um, recognize where their soul lives and how to connect people's experiences to that. Mm. Um, there's a lot of concept restaurants. Um, I don't, I don't give a fuck about a concept. I give, when I walk into a restaurant, I want to feel, I want to feel that someone else cares about this. You walk into a restaurant, the first thing that I feel like, does it have a heartbeat? Can you hear the thumping? Does it feel like a place that is alive or is dead? And, gotcha. and, and figuring that part out first. What is one technology that you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge influence on operations, efficiency, communication, profitability, anything along those lines? Uh, I'd say the, the, the Gather app has been really helpful for us um, and booking events and organizing them. Uh, that's been in the last year. Um, yeah, that's been like really cool and helpful and uh uh, we've had a lot of success out of it. Interesting. And I, I also noticed you're using breadcrumb when I walked in. Yeah, indeed. Upserve now. Upserve now. Upserve POS. Uh, breadcrumb was acquired by Upserve. Yep. So are you using the data mining software and the, the package? Are you using just the, the POS component or are you using the, the full picture? Uh, mostly just the POS component. All the other stuff is available to us. Um, the data mining, I mean, you know, we are not a big enough restaurant for that to have a mm-hmm. huge impact on us. Got you. Cool. So this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about your success and about just overall the the things we need to know for the good of humanity. What were those three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind? What would they be? Uh, faith in mankind is only progressed by continuing faith in mankind one um you only you can only achieve what you dream two uh love the people that are around you awesome chef fiore tedesco thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me to share your story to share your knowledge your mentorship it was a really great conversation i wrap up every call uh, every conversation by calling somebody out so who's one person you respect and admire maybe in austin that you believe would be a great guest mentor like you've been for us today uh shout out to mike Fotage at over at olame okay it's a good friend and uh i think it, it we share a lot of, we talk about it a lot and can, he has a lot to, to offer and to share. Mike, look out. I'm coming after you and let the folks at home know how can we connect? Uh, you mentioned a few times you'd be willing to talk to, to anybody who had any questions. So what's the best way to connect? Uh, LocadoroAustin.com. I am at Fiori at LocadoroAustin.com. You can find us on Instagram as well uh, um, at Locadoro. Yeah, come at us. This is episode 580. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 580. I'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as the links on how to connect with Chef Fiore over there. Again, episode 580. Again, Chef, thank you so much for taking the time. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks for having me, Eric. (laughs) I appreciate it, man. Cheers. Take care. There you have it. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable Chef Fiori Tedesco. Awesome conversation. So inspiring. I think the the big takeaways in today's chat, uh, go after what you want in whatever 
your dream is, just go freaking grab it. And that's exactly what Fiori did. You know, the first dream he had, he wanted to stage for Gabrielle Hamilton, an incredible restaurateur. And he got turned away a bunch of times, but he kept showing up. And that's what you need to do in your life. Keep showing up. Keep going after what you want. Uh, And also the power of visioning, the power of having a mission and showing up to achieve that mission. You saw it very early on when he was going to try to recreate that, that meal he had touring Italy. He wanted to recreate that, and he achieved that mission. Today, his mission is to create a workspace that's fair for his people, that provides a living wage where his people can come and not have to worry about making ends meet. And I'm not going to say this is the solution. I honestly don't know what the solution is, but there's only one way to find out, and that's by trying it. And I have to commend what they're doing over there at Locadoro. Uh, so I'll be keeping my, uh, you know, ear to the ground, paying attention to what they're doing, and uh, maybe we'll have them come back a year or two years from now and uh, get an update and find out how it's going. Uh, the other really cool thing I, I, I pull from this conversation is the power of dinner parties. I think those are going to be the future pop-ups. I think start where you can and where else, where's a better place to practice hospitality than in your own home, right? So don't let anything get in the way of your dream, of your ability to serve and uh, make people happy with your incredible food. Just start where you can. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. Uh, Keep those five-star reviews coming. But the best way to support this podcast is by sharing it. So if you know of anybody who's aspiring to be great in the industry, put this sucker on their radar. And then lastly, sign up for my email list. Guys, stay plugged into what's going on in my mind, uh, what you missed this week or last week or the previous week. And uh, stay plugged in. Stay up to date with, with what's happening. And uh, I, I'll keep you posted with where I'm at, uh, what my plans are, so you can... Uh, Who knows? Maybe intercept me on the road. All right, guys. That's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.